Today, as Cindy said, we're going to conclude the series Flash Forward. We've been looking at various areas of life that may cause us to be afraid and fearful as we think about moving forward in our lives. We've had a theme scripture for this whole series. It's in 2 Timothy 1.5. For we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I want you to say that with me. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. How many believe that today? That God wants you not to be fearful. And we live in an age of anxiety and fear. God wants us not to be fearful. This morning I want us to consider something that everyone in this room knows a little bit about. And that's change. Change. Recently I read this. Fear of change can keep us from experiencing our lives to the fullest. Fear of change can keep us, you and me, from experiencing our lives to the fullest. There are about 530 known phobias or fears. If you go back and remember the first week, we learned one that was new to me. Remember this one? Aero-hypnomasiophobia. Remember what that one was, anybody? The fear of flying Northwest Airlines. But to be fair with Northwest Airlines, those two pilots that that overshot their destination by 150 miles, they were dismissed by Northwest Airlines and they've lost their license. I want to give you two more phobias for your trivia files because I know you like trivia. Now the first is the fear of having something stuck to the roof of your mouth, that being peanut butter. The fear of having peanut butter, no kidding, that's a fear. Stuck to the roof of your mouth. But, you know, I'm I'm happy to tell you that we don't have any peanut butter products in the cafe. So that's safe for you that have this fear. This is a $100 word, one of those real big words. I can't even pronounce it. We're going to throw it on the screen, and here it is. The fear of having peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Now, there's another fear that a few guys in here, including myself, we perpetrate that fear on the rest of you. It's pelidophobia, pelidophobia, that's the fear of baldness. If you were sitting beside someone who's bald, and you're getting a little anxious right now looking at them, or maybe it's even past that point and you're actually afraid of them, turn to them and say, I have pelidophobia. Go on, you know you want to do it. You know, all kidding aside, most of us would admit to some time in our lives having a fear of change. Well, what is change? A simple definition is that change is moving from one place to another. It could be physically. Maybe you're going to move from one house to another house. Are you going to move from one state to another state? It could be that it's relationally. You're moving from dating someone to not dating that person. You're moving from being married to not being married. Maybe it's vocationally. You're moving from having a job to another job. Or having a job and not having a job. Maybe it's spiritually. You're moving from where you're at with God now to where you want to be. 
Maybe you're somewhere with God and you slipped away this past year and you're not as close to God as you used to be. Change is a constant companion in our lives. Excuse me. For instance, in America, every day in America, 100,000 people move to a different home. Every day in America, nearly 6,000 people celebrate their 65th birthday. Anybody 65 this next coming week? Every day in America, a little over 4,000 people get married every day in America. And every day in America, nearly 7,000 people die. Change is inevitable for you and for me. Yet there's one thing that does not change. Do you know the one thing that does not change? I'm not talking about taxes. Here it is. I am the Lord, and I do not change. In the New Testament, we read this. Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. Personally, I find it reassuring and comforting to realize that God is the unchanging constant in my changing world. The reason so many people resist change is they're afraid of what will happen. And you could say, yeah, duh. Many of us have lied to ourselves by saying things like this. You know, this is just the way I am. Or, you know, I've tried to change, but I can't. Someone once said, a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. One of the most common lies that people believe is this. I can't change. I can't change. And this lie, my friend, if you believe it this morning, breeds fear in our hearts. And we choose to believe the lie and not the truth about what God can do in our lives. The God who never changes. There's a famous scripture in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. You've probably read it yourself or you've heard it in a message. Jeremiah the prophet was told by God to write a letter to God's people who had been taken captive and were now in the Babylon. Here it is. Read it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Friends, hang on to that verse. The unchanging God had Jeremiah write those words of comfort to the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon. And he also wanted us to know here at Faith Fellowship, Thousands of years later, in the year 2009, that when we flash forward, we can do so without fear of change. Maybe we have fear about changing our financial life. We say things like, you know, I'll never be good with money. Or, I just uh, don't understand how to budget. Or, I'll always be in debt. Maybe we have fear about change in our relationships, our relational life. We say things like, I don't make friends very easily. Or I'll never get married. Or, you know, I've trusted people before and they burnt me. 
and I just don't trust people anymore. Or my marriage is always going to be a mess. Maybe we have fear about changing our thought life. We say things like, well, you know, I'm just kind of a negative, critical person. The glass is always half empty for me. I just have a bad attitude. You're going to have to learn to deal with it. Maybe we have fear about change in our physical life. We say things like, you know, I'll never lose that weight. Me exercise? You've you got to be kidding. I really don't like the way I look. Finally, maybe we have fear about change in our spiritual life. We say things like, you know, everyone seems to have faith but me. You know, I try to pray and I want to pray, but I just don't. Or I planned on reading the New Testament through in 2009 and only got to the book of John. Most people fear change in their lives. And one of these that I mentioned or, or something else. Someone has said the only people who don't fear change are babies with wet diapers. You can check the nursery afterwards and ask if that's true. You know where the fear of change really hits people? It's in the church. In the church. You see, in many churches, not here at Faith Fellowship, because we've broken through this this thing. But in many churches, you've probably had experience with maybe one of those churches. They have a favorite phrase, and I want to say that phrase. I'm going to leave one word out, and you're going to help me fill in that word if you've heard this before. We've never done it that way. Yeah, you've been there, haven't you? (laughs) By the way, how many people does it take to change a light bulb in one of those churches? takes four people, one to change a light bulb and three to reminisce about how good the old light bulb was. <laughs> Thank God for faith fellowship, amen? I want us to look in the book of Acts this morning at a man who was afraid to change. His name was Saul. In the first part of the book of Acts, when he's introduced, he's called Saul of Tarsus. He was born in a Greek city called Tarsus. We hear a lot of talk these days on the news media about terrorists. And Saul was the worst terrorist of the first century. Terrorist of the worst kind. It says Saul was going everywhere, devastating the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into jail. Saul himself wrote this about what he was doing. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way, referring to to those who follow Jesus, because remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Saul was a bad dude who hated followers of Jesus Christ. And he was directly responsible for the death of numerous men and women and for causing untold numbers of children to be orphans. Saul was a very religious Jew who sincerely believed that Christians were blasphemers who had turned their back on traditional Judaism. He was a man on the rise in certain circles of Jerusalem. 
And by defending the Jewish law in such a radical way, he was making a name for himself. He was well-educated. And by his own admission, he was a very zealous man to abide by the strict Jewish laws. You see, he really believed that what he was doing was honoring God. And on a journey one day to find and imprison Christians, he was going north out of Jerusalem to the city of Damascus. And on the road there, Saul was interrupted by a heavenly light that temporarily blinded him. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. In Acts 26, Saul refers to a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to fight against my will. That voice from heaven was none other than Jesus trying to tell Saul, you know, Saul, I've been working on you to change you. But you're resisting me. You refuse to change. And friends, I believe many of us are like Saul. The Lord is speaking to us, not audibly, but the voice from heaven. But he's speaking to us in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to us through wise, godly counsel of friends. He's speaking to us through the pages of Scripture. He's trying to tell us we need to change. But we're resistant. And we fear the change that God himself wants to take place in our lives. Why was Saul afraid to change? What did he fear? First of all, Saul was afraid to change because he was a proud person. Saul was a man who was climbing the ladder of success. He maintained a, a finely well-tuned, prestigious image. And to lay that down, to follow Jesus in that Jewish dominated excuse me, society, means that he would have to swallow his pride. The reason many fear change is because they will have to swallow their pride and admit that they can't do it on their own. You see, pride keeps people from seeking the help they need. Maybe someone in here needs marital counseling today. Don't let pride stand in the way. Maybe someone needs vocational counseling. Maybe someone needs anger management classes. Maybe someone needs consumer credit counseling. Pride stands in the way of us seeking help. Pride hinders people from opening up in their small groups or even joining a small group like we have so many of them here at Faith Fellowship. Pride can stand in the way of change and help we need to move forward in our lives. In, in Proverbs 18, 12, it says, Proud people will be ruined. Saul was also afraid to change because he was fearful of what others might think. Saul had this growing career and a high social standing in the city. He was one of the movers and shakers of the day. Life for Saul was very good. And again, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ would end any chance of him keeping 
these things. Many people who face making changes in their life don't do it because they're afraid of what others will think. If we were to come clean and confess our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, our sins, what would others think of us? We're more concerned with our image and our standing in the community, whether it's the church community or the social community we run in in a city. We're more concerned about that image than we are in making the changes in our lives that are going to bring healing and hope deep within us. Saul also feared change because there was too much to gain from his current lifestyle. Everything on the surface seemed to be going for him, even though the Lord was dealing behind the scenes with Saul to change. And we also fear change because our lifestyle situation and our way of doing things seems to be working for us. I read about a prisoner who received a letter from his wife asking him about some things that she thought needed to be done around the house. And she said, uh, is it time to plant the potatoes yet? And he wrote back and he said, uh, no dear, it's not time to plant the potatoes and And by the way, don't dig in the garden because that's where I buried all the guns. He knew his mail had been read because all prisoners have their mail read. So his wife wrote back and uh, said, "Uh, guess what, dear? Some FBI agents came to the house and dug up every square inch of that garden. He wrote back and said, dear, now it's time to plant the potatoes. (laughs) That inmate had learned to make his lifestyle situation work for him. And so have we. Our character flaws, our procrastination, our sin seems to be working for us. It's getting us by. We have learned to make them benefit us just like Saul did. Well, there was one last reason that Saul was afraid to change. It was because Satan had a grip on him. See, in reading what Saul did, I believe the only way Saul could do what he did is because Satan had him under his influence. Saul had accepted and believed the lies Satan told him, not only about Jesus, but about the followers of Jesus. You see, Satan didn't want Saul to change. He was doing Satan's bidding for him. And he used fear and lies to resist the work of Jesus in Saul's life. In John chapter 8, Jesus referred to Satan as the father of lies. I've been around this life long enough to realize that Satan is a master at lying and deceiving people. He started way back in the Garden of Eden, and he's been at it ever since. And guess what? Satan doesn't want you or me to change. And he's going to use fear in my life. He's going to throw lies at me to slow down or completely stop the change God wants to take place in my life. And I can pretty well guarantee you he'll do the same for you. 
Satan will influence us any way he can, just as he influenced Saul. The heavenly light on the Damascus road knocked Saul to the ground and caused him to become temporarily blind. I can't imagine what was going through Saul's mind. But then a voice rang out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? And then he heard, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus told Saul, get up, go with those that are with you, because there was a group of them going. Go on to the city of Damascus, where change was going to come Saul's way. He would no longer be Saul, a proud, arrogant murderer, but Paul the Apostle, a missionary evangelist of Jesus Christ, a man who would go on to write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament and be considered one of the greatest Christians who ever walked on this earth. Well, how was this change that Saul feared going to take place? And if you and I want to flash forward and make changes in our lives in 2010 without fear, how's it going to take place? I think we must do four things. I think it's the same four things that Saul did. Number one, make sure you're right with God. Saul thought he was right with God. He was trusting in his religious upbringing and the training he received. He was relying on his personal knowledge of the scriptures and the teaching of the holy men in his city. He thought education, he thought social standing would be enough. Friends, none of it was enough for Saul, and none of those things are enough for you and me. We need a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, in what is known as the new birth experience. Jesus said, you must be, what? Born again to see the kingdom of heaven. I don't see any ambiguity there. It's straightforward. It's plain. Those are the words of Jesus who came from heaven, who is in heaven, and he said, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, this is what you have to do. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we consequently then become right with God, we have the assurance of eternal life with God. And it's at that point that you can flash forward without fear of change because you know that God said, I'm going to give you a future and a hope. And you can claim that 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Well, number two, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. When we have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in our life. Acts chapter 9 tells us that Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit after he got right with God. You can't put the cart before the horse. The Holy Spirit comes after you get right with God. And the Holy Spirit is God's power within each person who has made Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. In John 16, Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, I tell you the truth. It is better that I go away 
When I go away, I will send the helper to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit. You know, no one would ever mistake me for a guy who's done much work in a gym. Except maybe you could say, well, you swept the floors. That's about all you did. But, you know, there are guys in this church that when I see them on Sunday morning, I say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you need, sir. Because they've done some real heavy-duty work in the gymnasium, pumping the iron. Well, I'm told that there are some rules when you lift weights. And there's a rule for the bench press, that you never lift weights in the bench press position unless you have a spotter. That's the word that someone told me, and maybe something else. But I'm going to use that word, spotter. Do you know what a spotter is? Well, I'm told a spotter is a person who's there, is when you try to lift the weights in that bench press position, and you can't. The spotter's going to encourage you. The spotter's going to stand ready to help you, but keep you from letting that barbell with the weight come back down upon you. People have been seriously hurt, and in some cases actually died when the weight came back and, and struck them in the throat or the body. A spotter wasn't present for them. A spotter is the person who helps you when you're weak and unable to lift the weight. Well, I'm telling you, Christian brother and sister, that the Holy Spirit is our spiritual spotter. The Holy Spirit gives us power when we're weak and afraid to change those things in our lives that we know need to change. The Holy Spirit gives us power when we're weak in the face of temptation and sin. We can't overcome in this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the man who prayed, Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. You know, I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't lusted. I haven't cursed. I haven't been unkind, I haven't been unselfish, but Lord, in just a few moments, I'm going to get out of bed, and I'm going to need all the help I can get. That pretty well sums it up for most of us. We need God's power to spot for us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us overcome all that the devil throws at us. We need God's power to not fear change. A third thing we should do to face change without fear is connect with other followers of Christ. When you connect with them, I'm going to tell you to do more than connect. I'm going to tell you to commit to them. See, I believe everybody, if they say Jesus is their Lord, should be connected and committed to a local church. That's my feeling. And I believe it's from God's heart. Connect and commit. And then you can ask those people after the connection and the committing process, hey, I need some help. The Bible says Saul stayed with the followers of Jesus in Damascus for a few days. In other words, after he went in from the Damascus Road experience, he found some followers of Christ. And he connected with them for the time he was in Damascus. 
We need people in our lives who we can connect with and who will help support us in our Christian walk. See, the devil, Satan, the evil one, there's a lot of names for him in the Bible, but he's out to waylay us, to sidetrack us, to knock us down and out. And I have found many times he will use people in his game plan against us. But I've also know that God uses people in order to help us and build us up and encourage us to keep on pressing on as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. God will use other believers to help us face changes in our lives without fear. We could go around this room and we could talk for days on end about the experiences we've had where someone has come alongside of us and helped us through a hard time, a difficulty. Yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, number two there. We need it and we must have it. But friends, we also need the power found in brothers and sisters in Christ who will be there for us no matter what we're facing or going through. weather people. Had a conversation with a man this week and he told me how when the wheels came off of his life experience, those he thought were his friends turned out not to be his friends. And I said, in reality, my friend, they weren't your friends. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church, says this, a Christian without a support group is like a football player without a team. Hey, how about those Pittsburgh Steelers too, right? That's not even in my notes. That's tonight, folks. Turn that on. That's going to be a good one. Then call pastor about 10 o'clock and ask him how I liked it. You know, sadly, a lot of believers don't have any Christian friends who can support them. The only time we hang out together is for an hour, hour and 15, 20 minutes on Sunday morning here at Faith Fellowship. And to be honest, in our conversation, there's, there's not a lot of true support that's taking place at that time. That's going to help us with the tests and trials of this coming week. I don't know what you're going to face this week. I don't know what I'm going to face, but I can guarantee you all of us are going to face some tests and trials. That's one reason it's so important to become a part of a small group of other believers. That's why we put high value on that here at Faith Fellowship. And we have a lot of different groups to try to serve everyone's niche and personality. Studies have shown that a person grows much faster spiritually and develops deeper and more meaningful relationships when they have some type of small group involvement. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so people can improve each other. I'll be the first to say I need Christians, Christian friends in my life 
to help me improve my walk with Jesus Christ. Some of you don't have that in your lives. And I pray that in 2010, you will get in a small group and you are going to make some connections and you're going to make some commitment to those folks. It's so important for you and me to realize that for us to break free from the fear of change, we're going to need the help of fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when we flash forward and we're facing change in our life, we can do so without fear if we make sure you're right with God, rely on the Holy Spirit, connect with other followers of Christ. And there's one last thing. Never look back. Just days after Saul was hell-bent on finding all the believers in Jesus in the city of Damascus, rounding them up and taking them back to Jerusalem to face execution, just days after that, Paul was found preaching in the local church. In Acts 9.20 it says, Soon he began to preach about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, Jesus is the Son of God. What a transformation. But see, Saul had finally found that purpose that God had given him. And that purpose was to preach about Jesus everywhere he went. He would go on to preach throughout the Roman Empire, winning lost people to Christ and establishing churches everywhere he went. Paul never looked back. And his life has been an inspiration and a blessing for Christians through the ages. Paul was afraid to change. But God had a plan and a purpose for him that required that he would change. With God's help, Paul changed. And he wrote this. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. God wants you and me to change. Maybe it's a spiritual change. You didn't read the New Testament in 2009. Well, guess what? You can do it in 2010. Your prayer life was weak in 2009. Guess what? Your prayer life can be better in 2010. You intended to get in a small group in 2009. You didn't. Guess what? In 2010, you can. Maybe God wants us to have a physical change. You can lose that weight. You can exercise. You can do whatever God wants you to do specifically for your own situation. Maybe it's a relationship change. Whatever it is, God wants us to change. And when we say, God, I'm willing to change, he wants us to never look back. He wants us to forget our past and move forward into his plans and purposes for our lives. Change is coming, my friends. Change is inevitable. And to flash forward and face change without fear, make sure you're right with God. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Connect with other followers of Christ. And never look back. If you're here this morning and you're facing change in your life and you're afraid of that change, I want to pray specifically for you right where you sit. 
whatever it might be, relationship change, a change in your status with God, a change in your physical location, a change in a job, you, don't, you need a job, whatever it might be, I want you to put up your hand and put it right back down. You're facing a change in your life. It's not that I have to see that hand, but that you're willing to acknowledge to God, God, I understand there's a change coming in my life, and I'm afraid. Anybody? Let's pray. Lord, change is inevitable. We know that. Change can produce fear in our hearts. Lord, we've learned from the life of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, four steps for change. Lord, I pray for those who put up their hand to acknowledge before you that there's something in their life. You know exactly what it is, Lord. Maybe you're dealing with them. Maybe you've spoken to them about this in their heart. Lord, I pray that this message, when they get up and leave this building, that the power of the Holy Spirit would remind them that he is more than able to help them do what he wants them to do when it comes to change. Lord, we do thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that our church would be a church that people could say, you know, they made a commitment to me. That church wants to connect with hurting people. Lord, let us be known as that kind of church in our community, a church that cares for people when they're lame and when they're broken down and when life is beating them down, that our church cares. Lord, we thank you today. Make us doers of this word, not just hearers only. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.